0: Hey friends, and welcome back to the show. I am really excited to have you here today. We are talking about a topic that, number one, is highly requested, and I'm actually embarrassed to say in the three and a half years that we have had this podcast, we have not done an episode Truly dedicated to just this topic. So, I was really excited to get connected with Kaylee, our guest for today, and to learn about what she does and how she helps entrepreneurs as a business attorney. So, today we are going to be talking all about contracts. This is like your contract 101 episode why you need a contract, what your contract should have, why it's important, how to use your contract if you ever need to use it. So, many valuable things inside this episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So, to definitely take out a pen and paper, get ready to take some notes. Kaylee is going to share all about contracts, how you can use them, why they're important. So without further ado, let's go dive in and meet our guest Kaylee. desire. Let's dive on into the show. Hey Haley, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today.
1: Hi Aubrey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I would love for you just to give a little bit of a backstory about who you are and what you do. Um, and even a little bit of that like origin story as to how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure, yeah. So I think my origin story, probably a lot of people in your community um can relate to it. I, I'm a business attorney. Um, and before I had my own business, I was a government attorney. So I was, you know, working full-time hours. Um, I was a litigator, so I was a trial attorney in court all the time. And even though compared to some other legal jobs, my government job was supposed to be flexible, um when i had my daughter my first child i really had a different vision of what i wanted motherhood to look like and even my government job really did not extend the level of flexibility that i was looking for so maybe i wasn't working you know 60 70 80 hours a week at a law firm but i still was going to need to put you know my newborn baby in daycare um, all day long 5 days a week and that's not what i wanted for myself so um, I didn't necessarily have a grand scheme of how this was going to go. I just found myself, um, you know, expecting this child that was coming, and I still had my student loans. Um, at that point, I didn't, it wasn't even a thought in my mind that I would start my own law firm. I just wanted to have an extended maternity leave. So um, thankfully, we were able to um, do that. We definitely had to pair back a lot to become a one income family, but. Um, That first nine months of her life, I was just a stay-at-home mom, and I honestly didn't know what I was going to do next. I figured my you know, time was going to expire soon and I was gonna to have to go back to work. And And I also thought when I had, you know, a second child or, or maybe more, that I wouldn't have the luxury of being home with them those nine months. So around that um, time, I started Googling part-time lawyer jobs, remote lawyer jobs, just to see if there was anything out there that I could do from home. And maybe, you know, a lot of the women in your audience have had a similar experience and so, if you go on those job boards, you you might find some options, but they're really not um, they're really not the level of flexibility that I have today, that you have today, and what you're teaching you know to your community of being your own boss. Um, so I started seeing examples of other service providers in the online space that were doing this, and they weren't lawyers. This was not that long ago; it was six years ago. Um, but in the legal space no one really had a virtual law firm, or if they did, it was kind of like their dirty secret. They didn't want to tell people that they had, um, that they had a virtual practice. So I kind of had to look at the examples of other service providers who weren't lawyers and, you know, engineer that in the path of law. And so um, thankfully I had a very supportive husband and I just started putting the pieces together and figuring it out on my own. And um, a little after her first birthday, I launched my practice and I've been doing it ever since. And honestly, I think when I began, I still didn't know if this was what I was going to do forever because I didn't know if it was going to work out. And you know, thankfully, it absolutely has. And I can honestly say that I will never go back.
0: (laughs) I feel you on that for a while. I, I think I kind of used it as almost like a catchfall for me of, well, if this doesn't work out, like I, I, you know, I would tell people that like, Oh, you know, Oh, I, you know, I could go back to teaching. I could always go back. And every school year when things would roll around, people were like, Oh, is he going to go back? And I was like, Oh, when the boys are older. And I think I was kind of, that was almost holding me back a little bit because once I finally drew the line in the sand and said, mm-hmm. no, I am not going back. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Sure. That is something that always is there. If, the world fell apart or, you know, online, the online space, you know, started to no longer exist. I, I could, but I finally had to stop saying, well, maybe, maybe when the boys are in school, I'll do it. I had to say, no, I'm not going back. And, and if this, this business, this particular business that I have doesn't end up panning out or it falls apart, I have enough skills now. And I have the knowledge and the awareness around what you can do outside of a traditional job that I will, like, I'll find something else to do before I ever go back to, A traditional nine to five job where I'm an employee and somebody else is dictating it because it's like once you once you go on the other side and you realize what is possible and how you truly can create that flexible schedule. It's not like we're not working. Clearly, we both work very hard, but we can create a schedule on our terms around our family. There's no going back to that.
1: Absolutely. And it really wasn't soon after launching. I think I launched with the idea of, you know, who knows if this will work? Who knows how long this will last? Um, But, you know, very soon after launching my firm, just the the night and day difference um, and the Um, you know, proof, proof of concept that this is possible, I very quickly did away with the idea that I would ever go back. And as dramatic as it sounds, I have actually had nightmares. I've had nightmares where I am starting a job for the first day and I'm going back to a regular job. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I had this life that was nothing like this. I didn't have to commute. No one told me when to be there. And I I just I can't even imagine going back. But as you said, it's it's there if it if uh, the online world ever falls apart, but I think if that were to happen, then there are a lot of other things that would fall apart with it.
0: Right? I I'm just interested because you were saying that not a lot of people were doing this as far as like the online uh, attorney online lawyers. So what is that I guess what is the difference between you know, going in obviously if, if there's a lawyer that has an actual office or hiring someone like you. I mean, is there a ton of
1: difference there
0: as as opposed to having the in-house as being online?
1: There really isn't. And I think it was simply that the The legal industry is very, very slow to change. Like they're the last, the last industry that I know of uh, behind the, you know, the financial sector and and um, any that I that come to mind um, to change and. I think that there were a lot of solo practitioners who were working from home, like in practice, probably for decades, honestly, but it wasn't something it was um, something that was concealed, you know, like just something maybe to be a little shameful about so people would have, you know, an office address. Um, that maybe they shared workspace with someone to have a law firm address, but then you know they might be doing all of their work at home. Um, and then I think there was also a sense of a lot of clients wouldn't want to work with an attorney that was working at home as, as if that's somehow not as legitimate. But depending on your practice of law, if you're dealing with a transactional area, so contracts or trademarks, business, um, even wills and trusts and estates, anything where you don't need to be in a courtroom, um, there's no reason, just like any other service provider, that you need to have a brick and mortar office. I think it's just a very traditional field um, and people don't like to rock the Boat. They're very, you know, I'm, this is true in many industries, um, but I think it's even more entrenched in the legal industry that here your pre-prescribed pre past, you know, choose your choose one of these adventures we've presented you with. Don't rock the boat. You're not going to invent something new. Um, and so it's just more recently, definitely the you know the pandemic. One of the few positive things that came out of it was that people became more comfortable with this work model, and I think a lot of Um, a lot of what has encouraged other lawyers is that prospective clients have also become comfortable with it. So you and I, um, you know, might probably exclusively work with other businesses and probably a lot of the businesses that you and your clients or your audience are listening to are other online based businesses. So you're used to jumping on a Zoom call and just doing business that way is normal among everyone. Um, But I think a lot of lawyers, you know, maybe especially in like trust and estates, we're concerned about older clients not knowing how to use Zoom or thinking that uh, that is, you know, less legitimate in some way. But that's yeah. definitely changing, I think, ab- among the legal industry and people who are hiring attorneys as well.
0: Absolutely. I know it's, it's so funny now. I think it used to be, you know, a couple of years ago, you always were, you're so used to just like going in and taking care of business. And now somebody's like, oh, I'm going to send you this to e-sign. And it just opens up the possibility as to like what you're able to do. And even just the, the services or the access that you have to things that maybe you wouldn't have been able to given your location. You know, I live in a very small town. Uh, I love it here, but there's not a ton of things. And I wanted to... Um, Remodel my office space, and we don't have like any interior decorators or designers where I where I could go and sit down in their office. And so I just went online and I connected with somebody who does that virtually. And the the entire process from start to finish, it was amazing to me. Even though I'm in this space of wow, they can do this online and they can send these things and have access to this, and it can feel like you're working with somebody one-on-one, but not in the in-person setting. So I I love it. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to make that shift. One other question that I had about That shift, you said that you had a really supportive husband, which I I do as well, which makes things a little bit easier. But I'm just interested because you were saying law and all that stuff is so slow to change. Did any of your other friends in the industry, were they skeptical of what you, you were doing or now that you've been doing it for so long and you've seen that success? Are they starting to jump on board and starting to do a
1: similar business model like you are? Yeah, well, that's a very interesting question. So I was um, I was a federal prosecutor, and then I worked for a state attorney general's office. Um, and I would say that a lot of, you know, just like perhaps, you know, being a teacher, a lot of people who go that route in their legal career, they're looking specifically for that stability. You know, you don't become a government attorney to get rich. You're looking for that pension, that stability. And um, so to answer your question, no, I didn't have a lot of former co-workers that necessarily, you know, followed um my footsteps, though um, one, one does come to mind, um, but I all of my friends were very um, supportive of it. And um, through this journey, I have kind of partly transitioned on the side as a passion project, helping other lawyers um, launch their virtual practices. So um, one of those clients has been a former coworker of mine, um, but most of them were in private practice working for someone else.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know that you had that side of your business too. I love that. Um, okay. So I'm excited to dive on into the topic for today, which is all about contracts. This is one of those questions that constantly comes up. Do I need a contract? What should my contract say? Um, so let's dive into that first part of it. Like do freelancers need contracts? And if they do, why is it so important to have a contract with every client that you work with?
1: Yes. Great question. So answer, as you might expect, is absolutely yes. Um, You shouldn't take on even one client without having a contract. So regardless of what business entity type you have, whether you're going to be a sole proprietor or an LLC, you need to make sure that you have a contract in place because that's really what's going to protect you. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, when I'm, you know, when i get more established in my business, then I'll get a contract. But if you think about it, you're more likely to make mistakes early on in your business journey. Um, and But th- that doesn't mean that your need for a contract goes away because typically the stakes are also higher as your business grows. Um, so really, you shouldn't be taking on even one client without a contract in place. Um, a contract is your client roadmap. It's you and your client are agreeing upfront that even if X, Y, or Z happens, this is how we have agreed to handle it. So it goes a long way in avoiding client disputes before they even come up. And even outside of you know contract disputes, in terms of um, you know someone breaching the contract or not paying you or accusing you of something, there are a lot of legal rights that are created in your, in your contract that go beyond any kind of you know people problem or disagreement. So content that you create for your clients, for example, most most of the time if you create a piece of content whether that's a blog article a graphic um, a logo for your client you probably assume that because they paid you to create that that they automatically own it and i would also say in most cases your client is probably under that assumption too but that is not accurate under u.s copyright law the person who creates the content is the owner of the copyright even if they were hired to make it, unless they are a W-2 employee, so you're on payroll and if you're a freelancer and you have your own business, that is not going to apply. And even if you were an employee, it has to be a part of your job duties to create that content. And so if those two um, criteria are not met, you actually own the copyright to that blog article that you just wrote for your client or those graphics you just created, or even the logo that you designed. And most of the time, I think both parties are not aware of that. And it's in your client contract that those things are addressed. So let's say you are doing graphic design. In your client contract, you are stating that you're going to automatically assign and transfer all of the content that you create to your client, that they will be the copyright owner. And without that clause in there, that doesn't happen. You are the copyright owner, regardless of either of your assumption. So that's just one example of, you know, there are definitely a lot of people problems, misunderstandings that can be avoided by having a strong contract. And then when those issues do come up, that'll be your roadmap for navigating it. And in addition to that, there are, you know, various rights that are created within the contract that you might not even know you needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, that's a question that constantly comes up and I say, you know, always make sure you have a contract. I thankfully and luckily really hadn't, have never had to go back and like use a contract, so to speak of like, Hey, this is what our contract says. And this is, you know, what you are doing. Um, the only time that I I have had to do that was with, um, like termination of, of the contract and of services in my contract, it stated that they must provide 30 days notice because I wanted to protect myself. I didn't want it to be, you know, three days before when the invoice was going to be due and it be a big project. And the client come back and say, Oh, like we're, you know, shifting directions and we're no longer going to need your services like that. I needed that protection for myself. And I think the other question that comes up with this is, you know, as the freelancer and, you know, the way that I've always done it is I was the one that would present the contract to the client that I would be working with. Um, But what are your thoughts on, say say a client comes back and says, well, I want you to sign a contract. Is it okay for both parties to have their own contract um, or those kind of like negate each other? I've always wondered about that. If the client says like, I have a contract, I would like you to sign as well.
1: No, I mean, unless they're the that contract is addressing something completely different, um, only one contract should govern the, you know, your scope of engagement, terms of payment, and all of that. If you have a service agreement, so there should only be one service agreement. Um, and then I'll get into, um, you know, what to do if the client is asking you to sign one that they provided. But let's say that you have a service agreement that you provide to the client, and they sign it, and then. They also ask you to sign, for example, like a non-disclosure agreement where you're going to keep the terms of the project and any information that you learn about their business confidential. Um, Then you can certainly sign that, um, but you want only one service agreement. So generally, as a business owner, you want to be providing the contract um, to your clients because even though you do want your contract to be balanced and fair for both parties a contract inherently is going to favor the drafting party so the person who wrote it or you know the person whose lawyer wrote it um, when you get into the nitty and gritty, there are going to be places where that contract is going to favor you. And that's okay. You are a business owner. You want it to be that way. Um, not everything can be you know, perfectly even in every situation. Um, and presumably, if you have a client, the agreement that they provide you is probably also going to lean in their favor in certain areas. Um, that doesn't mean that you can never sign an agreement that a client presents you with um, you you know you absolutely can read that review it and it's up to you it's your business so um, even if you have an agreement that you typically provide clients if you have a client that for whatever reason um, they present you with one you can review it or have an attorney review it with you decide whether or not you want to sign it you can ask them you know what portions of your con- of this contract Um, would you like to incorporate into my service agreement? You know, are there, is there any clause here or provision that's missing that you want me to add? You know, you can negotiate those terms. It doesn't need to just be a one-way street.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you for answering that question. Um, I think the next question that comes up is, you know, like where, where do we actually get contracts? And for a while I, you know, I use the contracts that were in um, my CRM. So I used Dubsado for a very long time. Before Dubsado, I used Andco, which is now Fiverr Workspace. Um, Can we use those contracts? Are those okay to use? Or should we be looking elsewhere for contracts?
1: I would say so I personally have um honeybook and I've also taken a look at the contracts in dbsado so I can speak to to both of those um and I would say they're very um they're very boilerplate it doesn't get more basic than than that so it would be better than nothing, definitely. Um, but they're very, very bare bones. So, um, you know, obviously I'm biased. I'm a contract lawyer. I also have a contract template shop, but I would venture to guess that any um, contract template shop that is run by a lawyer, the agreements that you're going to get from someplace like that are going to be night and day from the boilerplate or, you know, just very super basic. Um, you know, bread and butter kind of terms that you're going to find in these agreements. So um, there's going to be probably a lot missing. For example, what I just mentioned earlier about uh, dealing with copyright ownership. Um, Now, I can't say this 100% off the top of my head, but I would venture to say there's a, you know, very, very, very good chance that those agreements are not addressing any terms like that whatsoever because they're built to be for anybody to use. Um, so they're really not going to be customizable to any niche and it would be better than nothing. But the best, the best thing to do, like the cream of the crop would be for you to meet with an attorney, you know, licensed in your state where you're located and have them draft a custom agreement for you where you're going over all of the services that you offer and, you know, Plan to offer in the future, even and coming up with a template that really protects you. The next best option is to go with a contract template that has been drafted by an attorney and is for your niche. So, in most instances, um, if you're doing, if you're providing a service that is not like highly, highly unique, or the details of your um, relationship with a client aren't. Also, aren't very unique, or their business isn't super complicated. Like, for example, um, you're not like handling very confidential, sensitive financial data or like a large amount of data for them, where you are dealing with a lot of privacy regulations. Like, if you're just providing fairly simple services like social media management, or you're an online business manager, or you're a graphic designer, you're building websites, um, something like that, then you can, in most cases, you know, rely on that template because even if you were to meet with a lawyer in your state, they're probably going to be working off a template like that, um, and your the result is is mostly going to be the same. So I would say that's the second best option. Um, Below that, to try to find a free agreement on either HoneyBook or Dubsado, you just need to be aware that it's extremely bare bones. Um, So it's also not going to provide any guidance to you of how to word your scope of services. So where you're listing all the deliverables, Um, it's just a fairly you know short document i think when you look at it before you add your details you know it might be one page whereas typically you're going to get to like around 8 to 9 pages in a really thorough contract even for a social media manager
0: yeah um that's really eye opening and and insightful for me uh the other thing i think i was wondering was you were talking about the contracts that you would find in HoneyBook or Dubsado is very bare bones as opposed to something where it's a little bit longer. So what are maybe some of those important clauses or those important things that you would get with a longer contract that's you know been written by an attorney as opposed to what you might find within um, HoneyBook or Dubsado?
1: Right. So for example, you mentioned um, termination. So there are, you know, different ways to go about that. You can say, you know, either party can cancel the agreement at any time um, that you require 30 days notice that if a party, if one party breaches the contract, so they um, violate a term of the contract, then the other party that they can terminate automatically. Um, Those are all things that in a boilerplate agreement, they're not going to give you all the nuanced options of. Um, whereas in most contract templates, certainly the ones that I offer, um, you have all of those options there, and you can you can choose what you want to include. Another example would definitely be all the copyright um, rights that we talked about. Um, indemnification. So indemnification means that even if um, if your client is or rather you are accused of something, some kind of violation that was actually a result of your client's actions. So let's say they provide you with a trademark or some kind of logo to incorporate into content that they're that you are producing for them. And then it turns out that they actually didn't have the rights to it. So they were committing copyright infringement with this material that they were then giving to you to create something new out of, so now you were in a situation where you were being accused of copyright infringement, but it was really their wrongdoing. So, in an indemnification clause, they're agreeing that they're going to step into your place, step into your shoes legally, um, and be and be the one held responsible for their own actions in that in that sort of situation. Um, another example is a limitation of liability clause. On a Dubsado or HoneyBook contract, it might have um, super, like, very basic boilerplate limitation of liability language. However, if you're not trained in contract drafting, then you won't know how to word it, so it's going to be enforceable and make sense in the context of your whole contract. So what I mean by that is... A limitation of liability clause is probably the single most important clause in your contract because it says even if you make a mistake, you're negligent in some way, you breach the contract, Um, you do something that even causes your client damages, maybe, I'm just making this up off the top of my head, maybe um, they're involved in some kind of launch and you fail to... Uh, provided deliverable in that and their launch is a big flop and it's it kind of one of those situations where but for your mistake none of the rest of the situation would have happened and now they're turning to you and saying that you're responsible for um all of the loss that they experienced you know maybe they were projecting like a fifty thousand dollar launch and they lost a considerable amount of money because of this mistake. So in a limitation of liability clause, both parties are agreeing that even if that's true, even if you were negligent and your actions did cause this result, that you were only going to be held responsible for either the package price of that contract. Let's say it was like a a project where they were paying you $2,500. That's the maximum that they're going to be able to sue you for and recover from. Or maybe your monthly retainer with them is $1,000 and they're only at maximum going to be able to recover one month of that retainer payment instead of maybe the $20,000 that they're claiming you caused them in damages. So those are things that even if HoneyBook or Dubsado has like very basic language, um, they're not going. That clause is not going to be fleshed out enough for you to very easily, you know, just add in your monthly retainer amount uh, while you're customizing your contract and and move on. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to set that limit in a way that you can just fall back on that. It may say something like, and I don't have it in front of me, but more like. Um, you know, you're not going to be held responsible for any kind of tort or negligence and really broad language like that usually is not enforced in a court because there's actually no limitation to it at all. So usually the clause is not there at all. It's completely absent from those like free templates or dipsato templates, or it's so bare bones that it might not even be enforced in a court.
0: I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was something else that I was thinking about is, okay, we have this contract, you know, hopefully it's, it includes all these important clauses that we want it to have. And hopefully we can use it as kind of like that, that backup of if we do have a dispute with a client, but do you have any advice for, like, if we do have to quote unquote, like pull out the contract, so to speak, and, um, and use that with a client? Any examples like of things that you have seen work, working with people of like, how, how can you appropriately kind of say, oh, well, we do have this language in the contract or you, you know, kind
1: of pull that out in your back pocket if you do have a client dispute? Right. I think, um, my first tip would be to remove the emotion from it as much as possible. The nice thing about having a thorough contract is that you can blame it on the contract and it doesn't need to be so personal. Um, so just, you know, in a broad hypothetical, um, you know, Susie sends you some complaint, or Susie is refusing um, to pay, or or whatever it is, or she's insisting that you owe her something, um, and then you just are simply in a non-emotional, matter-of-fact way replying, "Dear Susie, you know, as per our agreement." Um, in our contract in section three, um, it states this, and then that's it. And, and then you say, so, um, you know, so I'll, you know, I'll look forward to your payment, or whatever it is, just assume, um, assume the best in Susie, assume that, well, here, we're you know, here's the language, um, we both signed this. And so I'm just going to send this to you, remind you of it in a really matter of fact way, um, and kind of, you know, give that feeling of, I'm just assuming that we're gonna proceed and we're both gonna be on the same page right now. And if you don't get that positive response and it does become a tit for tat, um, I really think the best way to handle any disagreement in business is to remain as non-emotional, you know, as you can. Um, And also, you know, this is more a business tip really, or a PR tip than a legal tip, um, but it can help you in either sense. Anytime you're drafting uh, an email to anybody in your business, write it as if the whole world could be reading it right now, you know, especially when you get into those disputes where, um, you know, emotions are high and you might feel offended, Um, you know, only send emails that you would be perfectly fine having published on Facebook because it's a possibility. Um, so just try to remain calm, cool, and collected. And when you can't do that, that's not the right time to send the email. Uh, and then certainly, you know, involving a third party, it could be it could be an attorney or it could be, um, you know, someone that you really trust in your life to be objective and calm about it um, and, you know, have their insight and their input into how to word things. Um, obvious, I think in, in most situations that, Most people are never sued in their business, um, especially, you know, when you're providing freelance services, most people are never sued. Um, Most people, I would say, never even get um, a lawyer that they receive a letter from, you know, some kind of like cease and desist or threat letter um, against them. And most never need to send that letter. Um, most disputes are cleared up before then, and it might just be people deciding to move on um, or you know, being able to resolve it between themselves. But when you can't do that, the next step is to, if you need to, for whatever reason, you're being accused of wrongdoing or breach of contract um, is to hire a lawyer um, to take a look at the contract, to take a look at those emails that you've been sending back and forth, um, and then send some kind of letter depending on the situation. Obviously, we're kind of talking about all problems all you know, in one big um, conversation here. But um that could be a demand letter where you are saying um that you you know insist that they give you make payment or something like that it could be a cease and desist letter where you're telling them instead of you need to do this like pay me you need to stop doing this which might be um, you know, stealing my content or infringing on my trademark or something like that. Um, or it might be a lawyer who is reviewing a letter that you got from from their attorney uh, and deciding how to respond. Um, and not to scare anyone, I think the odds are that will never happen to you. Um, and, you know, all the more reason to make sure that you have a contract that is protecting you properly, that is really clear because... I think this is not my original quote. I think it's a Dave Ramsey quote, but it's to be unclear is to be unkind. And you're going to do away with a lot of these issues by having a clear contract, because I think in a lot of disputes, most people are not intentionally trying to be malicious. I think in most situations, um, the, the parties truly are not on the same page. There was not Um, a meeting of the minds and there's confusion there and they have different opinions about what was supposed to happen. So if you can have a really clear client roadmap of how the relationship is going to go, you're going to avoid those problems. And when they do come up, you know, when you have that clear language to fall back on and it's just plain as day, then it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be worth it to most people to pursue something when it's as clear as day, how the situation um, should be resolved.
0: I agree with you 100%. And that's what I, I'm constantly reminding myself. And I'm constantly telling my students, whenever something comes up with a client, I, I never try to like jump the gun and think, well, they must be doing this. Because I, I, at first, like, I will be like, I will assume the best out of everyone. And I take it as maybe that I wasn't clear, or maybe I didn't lay the expectations, or maybe they're just not aware, you know, like, I don't assume that because, you know, they try to end the contract, you know, early or they don't give enough notice that they looked at the contract beforehand and said like, well, ha ha, ha I'm going to get her. Right. I think truly it's just sometimes they need that reminder or they need just to be made aware of that. And most of the time they're like, oh, okay, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Like we will go ahead and, you know, end service it. You know I'm putting in my official notice or whatever it is now. Um, and that's when you take that approach, I have found that it helps to take that emotion away. Even if you could get an email where it could, it could come across like the client is trying to pull one over on you. But if you just come from it, like maybe they are just not aware. And so my job is just to make them aware of what the contract actually says or what the expectations are, or what the agreement was. And for me, that has you most time like i i'm always pleasantly surprised with the fact that they're like oh thank you so much for bringing that to my attention i wasn't aware of that already or like i'll do that going forward and it can even be as simple as things like you know client boundaries or respecting business hours or like turnaround time and you know you can have obviously you can have that in your contract you can have that in your welcome packet of like when your office hours are things like that um and like i said when you when you go into it with that mindset of like I'm just going to make them aware of it and not assume the worst out of people and give people the benefit of the doubt until they do give you a reason to not assume that.
1: I completely agree that most people fall into that category and you know if you're in business long enough you also are going to come across monster clients who mm-hmm. there's you know there's no um you know there's no debating whether this person is rude or not. They're just very rude. They're, you know, they're unkind. It's as plain as day. And, um, I would say in those situations, again, just remember, um, all the more reason to examine your own response under a microscope, um, to be sure that, you know, you feel integrity with everything you're saying and that you're okay with anybody else possibly seeing that email that you think it reflects your business in a good light. And you can do that while also enforcing your own boundaries and it's even easier to you know tread that line of you know being kind professional and enforcing your boundaries when you have this clear language to fall back on
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've helped me a lot in this episode, definitely understand some things and things that I'm definitely going to take back to my students. And I know that it's going to help this um, podcast audience so much from hearing from you. So I want to thank you for being so gracious and sharing all of this with us. I would love for you to share the resources that you have for freelancers when it comes to legal and contracts and all that stuff. Where can we learn more about what you offer and what you have for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my website is www.contractista.com. And your community is welcome to use the code CEO15 for 15% off any contract template purchase um, so we have a independent contractor agreement which is something that would be suitable for all freelancers but then we also have more niched down contracts so for virtual assistants for um, graphic designers web designers um, online business managers photographers a whole host of things so um, you can get contracts there and I'm, I'm sure you'll have your affiliate link um, below Aubrey and then we also have a 2023 business legal checklist that you can get on contractista.com. And that has a part one of how to protect your business legally when you're just starting out. And part two of how to continue to protect your business legally as you grow.
0: Perfect. We will link all that up in the show notes so that you can go check all that out, grab a contract if you need it for your business. And again, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all of this with my audience.